Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Sean the Baptist Live for this Wednesday, April 21st. It is Wednesday in the third week of Easter. Happy you are joining me here tonight. Uh, I mentioned last week that uh, I might need to go at uh, 5.30 instead of 6.30, but obviously you you got the word. You're here at uh, 6.30 tonight. Next week will be 5.30. Uh, we've got uh, confessions for our confirmation kids, uh, so pray for them as, as they're uh, coming up on some big milestones here. But uh, happy to be <clears throat> live with you tonight. Uh, maybe a little recap of um, some of the things that have uh, gone on this this past week. Uh, I've had some anniversaries. <clears throat> Speaking of confirmation, so this uh, this past week was anniversary of my confirmation. So I, I celebrate that every year. And the week before that was my first communion. So of course they they come uh, kind of together there in the springtime. So I was uh, happy on that. The 14th is the anniversary of my confirmation. And uh, the 31st of March is the anniversary of my first Holy Communion. So I celebrated those this last week. And um, also uh, anniversary of this, this past week, uh, April 12th was the 29th anniversary of the day I became an Eagle Scout. Uh, so I had my Eagle Scout board of review and, uh, it's kind of nice every every year on the uh, the anniversary, the Boy Scouts uh, they send me out a little reminder message of Hey, today is the day you became an Eagle Scout. Interesting because I just had uh, uh, another young person I know just had uh, his Eagle Scout Court of Honor and was, was very proud of him. And then I, you know, the day after his Court of Honor, I remember that oh, this is this is my Eagle date, and you know, twenty nine years. <laughs> Holy cow! Time time goes by. I'm like. 29 years ago, I became an Eagle Scout, and this, you know, this guy is just, uh, just getting his, I'm like, okay, I guess I'm, uh, I guess I'm kind of getting old, although I, I will say that uh, last night, I, I had a marriage preparation appointment with, uh, the bride-to-be is one of my former students from when I was chaplain at Hayden High School in Topeka, and, um, you know, I, I I've mentioned the surgery that I had a, a little bit ago to remove all the excess skin from the weight I lost uh, from the bariatric surgery I had two years ago now. Well, the, the bride-to-be told me, Father Sean, it, it looks like you've de-aged yourself like 20 years. So I guess I'm, in some ways, I'm getting old. And in other ways, I guess maybe I'm, I'm backing it up. I don't know. Uh, I can, I could see that. I can go with that. Uh, so, um yeah, anniversaries coming up or again and again. And I, I suppose, you know, sometimes the more we, we go around the, the sun, as it were, the less maybe some of the huge kind of uh, events really maybe get to us a whole lot. Christmas, you know, doesn't seem quite as exciting when you're uh, an adult as it as it did maybe when you were younger. But um, still, I, I think you learn maybe to kind of savor things uh, a bit more, perhaps, as you, you get a little bit older. I know this is weird. This is totally for you that have passed this point in your life. Uh, you're like, oh my gosh, midlife crisis for Father Sean. Like, yeah, I'm 44. And um, there is a bit of that point in life, whereas you're especially marking anniversaries and things, you're like, man, okay, done this a lot. And you start to ask those bigger questions like, is this all there is? What is the meaning of life? Why am I here? Does God have some kind of mission for me or or not? And and those that, that know me know that uh, a lot of my a lot of my life has been lived in that kind of uh, mission focused sort of thing. W- what is my contribution to the world while I'm here? How will I how will I leave my mark? And I've often told people like, well, the most important thing you can figure out in your life is what is your mission? What has God created you to do? The beautiful prayer of St. John Henry Cardinal Newman, mission of my life. The Lord has given me a mission. He's entrusted to me some work that he has not entrusted to another. Um, That's normally been the way I live. That's how I found meaning in life. I say as I I get a little bit to midlife here, maybe, you know, maybe there's a bit of questioning. Like, what is my mission? You know. And where do things go from here? How do we find meaning in life? And with that, I, I guess kind of 
segue into a little bit about what I wanted to talk about tonight. And um, I was praying about it this afternoon, trying to figure out what what ought that be. Because um, on one hand, I want to do a show about scouts. So let me just say that I think that one is in the works. Uh, I mentioned my Eagle Scout anniversary. Um, scouting has been a big, important part of my life. This is my 35th year as a scout. I will celebrate 35 years this September. September 26th is my date. And uh, so scouting has been a big part of my life. And uh, a couple scouting things uh, came up. So I mentioned my Eagle Scout anniversary, which is uh, obviously a big date and and super important. Um, But I've also, I've mentioned Philmont Scout Ranch in New Mexico uh, several times before. And so I just got that all finalized that Basically, I'm going to be down at Philmont most all of June, like uh, June 5th through July 3rd, I think. June 4th through July 3rd, around there. Anyway, if you're if you're at Philmont in June, you will see me. And I've already had some people reaching out. and But I, I'll work Philmont in a little bit tonight, too. But uh, serving on summer camp staff, Camp Nash, Atro Bartle Scout Reservation here in Kansas City, uh, a lot of good scouting memories. And so I almost just tonight said, let's do a show on scouting. Uh, but I said, you know what? I need to, I need to, that'll be a special one. I need to put a little more work into that. But also this past week, this last Sunday at the cathedral here in Kansas City, we had our annual scout mass with the archbishop. So some of you may be aware that uh, scouts can work towards little awards, religious emblems. And uh, for the, the older scouts, we present those once a year in the cathedral with the archbishop. So got to do that this last Sunday. And that was, that was really exciting because, um, you know, with COVID, we haven't done a whole lot of big kind of celebrations. And so we, we couldn't have like our normal after reception or that kind of thing. But with uh, social distancing in the cathedral, we, we made the cathedral look pretty full. And uh, as you've heard me say, scouting in the Catholic church very much go together for me. So to have our cathedral full of scouts and all the uniforms and the badges and the awards being presented, uh, it was a really special day there too. So uh, I'm feeling pretty scout-like uh, recently. Um, I'm really looking forward to getting down to Philmont here uh, in another another month and uh, kind of re-engaging scouting. I've been saying that a lot of my a lot of my scouting recently has been done in a, a boardroom, and that's that's really not how. <laughs> scouting is supposed to go. But with that having been said, we'll we'll do a full show on scouting later. Tonight, though, the, the thought that came to my mind was uh, an aspect of some of the things I've experienced, I suppose, in scouting. And that is the uh, the idea of art and, and, and beauty and, and culture. Now, those that know my, my background know that, well, I, I'm an engineer. Okay, so I would probably be the the last person that a lot of people might point to right off the bat and say, well, I, I bet he likes art. And I don't know what you think of when you think of art. Maybe you read that line and you're like, art. And you're, and you're thinking like the, uh, you know, contemporary modern art exhibits at, uh, you know, paintings that are like of just a black square or something. And you're supposed to figure out like, what does this mean? Okay, now I don't, I don't mean to limit the conversation tonight uh, just to uh, visual art. Uh, I mean, music, certainly yeah, painting, sculpture, TV, movies, cinema. Um, and we'll talk a little bit, of course, about the, the art that, that God does. He is the, the master artist. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight as well. So speaking of Philmont, Eddie is on, as always. Good to have Eddie back. And we've got Elizabeth and Frank. Um, those are the folks that have uh, checked in. So good to, good to have you on tonight. And uh, I do uh, look forward to your questions. Maybe uh, I'm going to share a little bit about the way that art has, um, I suppose you could say, impacted my life. But also, uh, I want to hear you know a, a little bit about, for you, where has art, beauty, maybe lifted you up, inspired you as a person? But uh, I mean, specifically as it uh, connects with our faith and and how how art and culture overlap so much and can really be a part of our our Catholic faith. And the, the thing that got me thinking about this is that April back in 1999, 
April of 99, John Paul, St. John Paul II wrote uh, a letter, a, a pastoral letter to artists. <laughs> and uh, this was really an, an amazing letter. I remember reading it back in college. And, um, you know, again, I thought of artists as like, well, that's like Van Gogh and Picasso and uh, people who paint stuff. I Somehow in my mind, like art meant painting, I guess. And I've never been good at, at, at painting. So uh, I never really got into art exactly. Or so I thought. But the, the letter to artists that John Paul II wrote in 99 is uh, a lot bigger than simply, you know, about painting. It, it's really about all forms of art, the, the creative dynamic media of, of art. And I love it. He, he starts out, he addresses the letter to all who are passionately dedicated to the search for new epiphanies of beauty so that through their creative work as artists, they may offer these as gifts to the world. That's a, 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 nat- a beautiful kind of way to, to start a letter. I like the epiphanies of beauty. When we talk about epiphanies, you know, we, we talk about around Christmas time. It's a, it's a manifestation. It's kind of a, an aha sort of moment re- revealing. And think of it, an epiphany of beauty. You know, kind of something that just strikes you so much. Really, how do you know something's beautiful? Maybe we'll we'll talk about that because sometimes you hear, well, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Well, well, not exactly. There are some objective standards to beauty. But when when we encounter something just incredibly beautiful, there is almost um, an arresting quality to it where we're, we just breath is taken away for a moment. We just kind of have to stop and say, wow. And of course, that happens not just with visual uh, paintings and things like that. That can happen in in, in literature uh, as well. I mean, literature is is kind of a form of art. Um, It's certainly in statues or, or music. I mean, how many of us have had the experience of just music causing you to be incredibly emotional, take your breath away, cry um yeah i mean there's there's music sometimes i can just listen to it and it just brings back memories whatever it can just bring a a tear to my eyes just from from the music (laughs) i like that kind of epiphany quality there that john paul ii talks about so that's a little bit of a a background i suppose of of what i was thinking about uh for tonight and uh so i'm going to look at some some different kinds of different art and the way it's affected my life, uh, I suppose. And I, I invite you to kind of chime in there. Um, and uh, Eddie, I don't know if you're on, but I started off talking about scouts. So um, Eddie's talking about the natural beauty of Philmont, the high adventure base that I mentioned in Northern New Mexico. Um, we do call it God's country out there. So many people do discover God out in the beauty of nature. And so we'll, we'll talk about Tonight, uh, God as artist. How about that? God is an artist. God is an artist. I'm even going to write that down just to make sure I come back to that. God is an artist. Why can we have such, I think, a, a connection to art as human beings? Because it's all created by God, and God is himself an artist. So um, maybe start off uh, a little bit with... Um, Something that caught my attention when I read St. John Paul II's biography by uh, George Weigel, the author of, uh, he titled it Witness to Hope. Big, big, fat, blue book that came out in the 90s, and it was all the, all the rage. If you were a good Catholic, you probably had George's book on your shelf about John Paul II, and then they made a movie uh, out of it. And I was just struck by the incredible story of St. John Paul II's life. But here's a connection that I I never really quite uh, saw coming. And that is, of course, John Paul II, you know, he he grew up uh, under Nazi German rule over Poland and later Russian communist rule over Poland. And when when they tried to eliminate Poland, from from Europe to eliminate Poland from the face of the earth, basically, 
Um, one of the ways that John Paul II and his friends fought back against these incredibly death-dealing, powerful armies. I mean, people were going to come at you with, with guns and, and tanks and missiles. John Paul II and his friends, Carol Votiwa at the time, fought back with art and culture. Particularly, uh, he, wrote, he wrote poems, and they put on plays. That just did not make sense to me, and at the same time, it kind of fascinated me. But you're going you're gonna to fight the World War machine of Germany with poems and plays? And, and yet, John Paul and his friends would literally risk their life to gather in secret to do drama, poetry reading, plays, drama. Why? Because they knew that it, Poland, in, in the case here, it is not just a, uh, a political, you know, reality of, of certain boundaries that go around a certain piece of territory. A society is is its culture even more than it is a boundary. And we think, you know, in the United States, we have our boundaries and, you know, manifest destiny, we've established ourselves, and it's kind of stayed that way. Boundaries of the, the countries in Europe have changed a lot, but the, the people and their culture doesn't necessarily, and it creates political trauma when you try to change the boundaries when, the, of course, the people and the culture don't change. Well, John Paul II saw that through their culture— through art, they could maintain their identity as Polish people. No matter who was in charge politically, no matter what world leaders tried to redraw boundaries on, on maps, there was something bigger than that that was Polish culture. <laughs> and so John Paul II is you know, famous for having written you know, some plays, poetry, um, at, at that time. And I guess this came back to me because, uh, you know, back in March last month, I did a show on St. Patrick and Ireland and Irish history, and something similar happened there. Uh, again, somebody comes in and wants to say that Ireland is no longer Ireland. So the, the British come in and they try to make, you know, the, the island of Ireland British. Well, one of the ways that the, the poor Irish people with no army fight back against this global superpower of Britain is through culture, particularly language. They form the, the Gaelic uh, Language Association to maintain Gaelic, and so they write poems. They do plays in Gaelic. They preserve, in their case, not even just art, but also like sports and games that are Irish. It's culture. Like, no matter what political power takes us over, if we maintain our art and our culture, you know, that's what's important. They said, even if we could win the military battle and, you know, reclaim all of the island of Ireland to be Ireland. Well, what is Ireland without its culture, without its history? We might save it for nothing if we lose our culture. And so again, it reminded me of John Paul II in Poland. So right away, those, those things get me thinking that we often look at, at art and the arts as entertainment. But it's really much deeper than that. And that's why John Paul II could write this beautiful letter to artists. Uh, because art is not merely entertainment. It's not, it's not primarily meant just to distract us. At least good art doesn't. Good art makes us think, challenges us. It, it even, it, it can refresh us, make us feel good, bring a tear to our eye. But it's not merely meant to be a, a diversion, I don't think. At least a lot of art isn't. And so I think that's why it's a, an important topic that, that we can, we can kind of talk about tonight. And I'm going to maybe leave it there for the more serious side of like art's role in society and things like that. And now get into some more specific kind of media uh, of art and in the way that, um, that I've discovered it. Now, growing up, um, visual arts, the 
you know, painting, sculpture, uh, things like that. That was never really on my radar screen a whole lot. I remember every now and then my family would go to the the big art museum here in Kansas City, the Nelson Atkins Museum of Art, and um, I, I don't have I don't have memories of it being a you know particularly wow experience. I mean, I liked going to museums, but I often went to more like history museums and science and technology museums. I loved those kind, but an art museum. I don't know. It, it didn't really speak to me as a younger person. But as I've gotten older, um, one of the things that I, I enjoyed being in Washington, D.C. is that, you know, all the Smithsonian museums, you know, normally you come as a tourist and you can just kind of blow through as, you know, as, as quick as you can to see as much as you can. I, I studied there for three years, as a lot of you know. And so when I lived there, I mean, I could say like, OK, I've got a couple free hours. I'm going to going to jump on the metro train and 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 go down to the mall and you know what I'm going to go to the the National Gallery of Art and just check out like I know a dozen or so paintings or one room or one exhibit or something and you know I think that the deal is with art you you often kind of find like your niche that that speaks to you and that's that's maybe where beauty can be a little bit in the eye of the beholder you want that kind of epiphany of beauty kind of thing. And I remember going through the Italian galleries at the National Museum in, in Washington, and they're all images of, of the saints and, and Mary and Jesus. And I remember it just became almost kind of a meditative, contemplative kind of experience, um, walking through the museums. And I'll never forget one of my, my favorite museum experiences uh, was when I was studying in DC, but I went to New York uh, for a, a conference. We had a meeting of the uh, Society of Catholic Liturgy up in New York. And with our free time, me and some of my friends, we, we went to the, the national, not the, the national, but the Metropolitan Museum of Art, they have uh, those that, that that know the Met. There's a, a specifically medieval art branch of it that they keep in a separate building. And it's on its own location called the Cloisters. It's it's meant to be like a cloisters, like part of a, a monastery, like a medieval kind of monastery. And so we went up to the Cloisters up uh, as part of the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And I remember again seeing beautiful statues of Jesus and Mary and things. But it was the first time I ever encountered um, the idea of I have a particular artist, maybe, that I like. Because I remember I was walking through and looking in this, this one painting. It was of um, Mary as a young girl and her, her mother, Anne. And the way that the light was painted, there was a candlelight. It was just beautiful. And I I saw that painting, and I'm just mesmerized by it. And it wasn't like a Picasso or Degas or Monet or anything that would be like one of the big, big names that you would know. Is The artist was Georges de Latour. And I, I filed it away, but I didn't necessarily think about it until I was at other museums and I saw another painting that caught my eye in exactly that same way. I said, there's that thing again with the, the candle and the light. And it was kind of that epiphany of beauty moment. And I, I looked it up and it was by Georges de Latour. Again, I'm like, wow. I, I think there's something about the way that he paints that speaks to me personally that like, do I have a favorite painter? I'm like, I, I don't do painting, I'm an engineer. But all of a sudden I, I realized, hmm. I, if somebody asked me like, what kind of art do you like? Who are your favorite painters? Like I could say, well, you know, I think Georges de Latour, and I, I could say like Palestrina, uh, famous Italian painter, does in incredible works with light and, and darkness and contrast. I, all of a sudden, like this engineer nerd has got a couple of favorite painters. I mean, that's that's weird to me, but um, I remember just the way it brought out in me 
contemplation. And in fact, now if you uh, if you pull up my my phone, uh, I have got on my phone another Georges de la Tour, and uh, this one is of Mary Magdalene. So this is called uh, I think Madonna with Flame or something like that. Um, and I just, I, I love it. And every time I see it, it's like, if I were a collector, I guess that's what I get. Um, and it invited me just into experiencing the spiritual life of what was going on in those, those paintings. Um, and so when I got back to Kansas city, I actually became, uh, a member at the Nelson Atkins Museum of Art. I am only about 20 minutes away uh, from the Plaza District now. So um, I'm a member of an art museum. That's blows my mind. Uh, but when it becomes not just like, uh, oh, it's a field trip sort of thing, you're going with your, your school or whatever, but like I've got some free time. Let me run over to the art museum and just take in some beauty for a bit. There's a certain bit there that just refreshes the soul. And I, you know, it, it's like, I don't know if it's food. It's like, here's a little bit of candy or ice cream or something that I just go and I, I take it in and I just, I'm uplifted. It lifts my spirits. And it's a little bit what I think John Paul and people realize about culture. There's something deeper there than simply entertainment, simply trying to pass the time. There's something that, that reaches down to the, the level of uh, the soul. So I start with that because that's the weirdest one for me. The idea that I would end up liking painting and, and sculpture and things. Um, wouldn't have seen that coming, but there it is. I go to art museums now. Uh, when I was in D.C., uh, my dad would joke with me. He's like, now don't forget to go. Go forget to go to the art museum. Not knowing that I like, I, I'd kind of taken a liking towards art. And uh, so it, it wasn't like a joke. Like, yeah, no, I, I do actually. You know, I, I, I go to the... Museum of American History, and I go to the Museum of Science and Industry. I certainly go to the Air and Space Museum. I mean, that's what you'd expect out of me. But then I, I go to the National Gallery of Art, too. And I, I go to the Portrait Gallery. I still, I still didn't like the Museum of Modern Art. Most of the modern art just doesn't do it for me. I like more realistic kind of things, but, you know, maybe acquired taste. So there's a little shout-out to the visual arts of, of painting and, and sculpture and things like that. Probably the art that has moved me and been the most important in my life is music. Uh, because unlike the visual arts, um, music is an art that I actually contribute to as an artist myself. I actually do uh, make music. I play trumpet. Uh, I do sing. Uh, I, I can't paint worth anything. So I don't contribute much to the, uh, the painting world. but. Yeah, to the artistic world of music, I do. And I guess I, I never realized this, but I grew up with music in the house. Lots of it. Um, we were always playing music uh, around the house. Not that we were performing it, but that it was on. And I guess I just assumed that was normal. Isn't that what people do? Uh, but other people that I talked to did not grow up with this. So if you talk about music... Um, one of the things I, I put uh, in the title here is, you know, Saved by the Arts. During the pandemic, um, one of the things that I've found to be most kind of heavily impacted and hit is all the artists who are musicians. We take for granted how much uh, people performing, creating music is, is a part of our normal life. And then when COVID hit, all of a sudden live music was gone. Where do you go to get live music? Now, for me, I, I, I do enjoy um, big professional live music like the Kansas City Symphony. So I'm a seasoned subscriber to the symphony. And, you know, I've very much been missing that. But I, I've got friends who are just, you know, little, it's, it's, it's their guitar and their voice. You know, I got a friend in Nashville that, you know, that's, that's what she does, trying to raise her, her daughter by herself. And, you know, she was majored in music and has been doing this her, her whole life. I mean, she's my age, a year older, I think. And, and 
ever since college, even in college. She's out as like, uh, you know, performs with a band here or there, sometimes by herself. Those people, I think, we got to really pray for, hit during COVID. So many of my musician friends um, have had a really rough go of it because that the people that show up and, and play for tips in your local coffee shop or, you know, something like that, um, it's rough. And how much we miss that. I know I just kind of take for granted sometimes that music is always there, but it, it actually, it takes people to make the music. Now here in Kansas City, um, I, I, I love Kansas City. It's, it's one of the most philanthropic towns in the country. Uh, and I'm not, not just me saying that, but like people who do research is like, okay, where are people most willing to give? Well, I, I note that here in Kansas City, for instance, so most symphonies work uh, based on subscription sales. So they sell, you know, tickets to an entire season. You subscribe to the entire season of concerts. Well, of course, they just had to cancel the, the whole season. Um, where's your money going to come from? What are you going to do? Well, here in Kansas City, everyone who basically subscribed to the symphony just said, all right, you know, hold my seats. I'm, I'm still going to, I don't need a refund. Uh, we'll see what you can do. And they promised to do things. And so the Kansas City Symphony has been really innovative and they've been doing, you know, online concerts. Now, it's not quite, not anything like uh, live music. I mean, people subscribe to the symphony. To, to go live, and there's nothing quite like it. Uh, but, you know, you're doing the best you can with streaming, enough to keep people on. Kansas City was able to support their symphony, our symphony, through all of COVID, and is going to make it, and is, you know, going to restart concerts in, in person, at, at least in the fall, if not sooner. And been going along, they made a little trailer into a mobile music box, they call it, and go do concerts everywhere. Um. Now, we might think like, oh, that's just, you know, entertainment. No, that's that's culture. That is spreading beauty and artistry and talent uh, in a way that you just don't get overnight. I mean, I think sometimes we appreciate athletes who have honed their skills in a certain way uh, to sh shoot a certain shot. But the amount of practice and talent it takes to be a musician astounding. Uh, it's one of the things you, you lose. It's hard to get back. So I know I have a great appreciation for um, musicians um, or, or symphony, but I, I don't just mean a symphony. I mean, that's, um, I never went to the symphony really growing up. I, I did a little bit in high school. It was a special deal to get to go to the symphony for some concert. My mom would normally take me to the symphony because uh, she could see my love for music. But um, most of the music that I listen to, the artists who are musicians, well, they're, they're, they're not uh, parts of maybe even big bands or, or things. Um, but I think in my life, how much music has influenced me, um, especially just in my, my faith, uh, Christian music. Now, now people will, will know that I love traditional sort of things, particularly when it comes to the liturgy and so I do love the formal kind of structured prayer of the Catholic Church. I love the Mass. Um, but so in history, obviously, the, the music of the Mass has been Gregorian chant, sacred polyphony, like, you know, Palestrina. Uh, I couldn't name very many artists, maybe, that are, like, my artist. But yeah, I got, I mean, you asked me, like, what music I like. I can, you know, name you a hundred different musicians that, like, this is, this is my stuff. Um, yeah, so Palestrina is, like, well, it's one of the only two musicians actually mentioned in liturgical documents by name. Um, so I like the the chant and the, the sacred polyphony, the sacred music that is performed and sung in connection with Mass and the liturgy. People might that might expect that of me because I seem somewhat traditional in that way. But I I also like the just the contemporary Christian kind of stuff. So uh, when I was in seminary, so this has been gosh, nine, 18 years ago now, I was turned on to a contemporary singer called, uh, his name is Matt Maher, and most uh, Catholic people who listen to contemporary Christian music, and even non-Catholics will know that name. Uh, Matt Maher is kind of the Catholic troubadour, I, I guess. 
Uh, he's probably the most famous Catholic contemporary uh, out there uh, over my my lifetime. There have been so many times where I've just been grateful that I, I have this beautiful gift of art that singers like Matt Maher have have given that I can express my my faith in a way that's different from just memorized prayers or, or even the the prayers of the mass or things like that. Uh, Matt Maher and, and others um, really give a, an outlet to give kind of a an emotional sort of connection to thoughts. Um, you know, just a simple thought like, Lord, I need you. Okay? Matt Maher has a song called Lord, I Need You. And I, when I am, when I'm down, when I'm at the end of my rope, like that's, that's like one of my go-to songs. I'm like, I'm going to play that song and I'm just going to scream at God. Like, Lord, I need you uh, in that, that song. What a great gift that is to be able to, to take that, take music, put it together like that. Um, so I'm praying, you know, especially for the ability to go to concerts again. There, there's nothing quite like being together, experiencing live music together. And I, I don't mean just like at the Kauffman Center here in Kansas City with the symphony, or I, I mean out at music festivals. I mean, you know, we, we've got lots of musical festivals and things around Kansas City and you know, the, the Irish Fest. Every year we want to, we have one of the longest running Irish festivals and uh, just to, to be out in the middle of the street in downtown Kansas City, listening to Irish music played live, it, it's awesome. Uh, you know, we've had different musical concerts and, and things. I, I actually love bluegrass music as well, and so I will hopefully next month be getting down to uh, Branson to uh, Silver Dollar City for the bluegrass and barbecue festival that I go to every year. Um, there is something communal about enjoying good music together. I like all different kinds of music. Um, and so I, I, I'm thankful that I've been exposed to that since uh, an early time in my life. Uh, so, you know, feel free to chime in with some of your experiences, perhaps, of, of music and what that's meant uh, to you. But, you know, I, I've seen one time they, one of my favorite modern composers is, is actually John Williams, who wrote a lot of the music that we would be familiar with from like Star Wars, E.T., Jurassic Park, the the Olympic fanfare and, and theme that uh, we all would easily recognize. Um, I saw one time a, a clip of like, what would Star Wars be without the music? And they're like showing the, a big, huge scene that uh, they take the music out of it. And it's like, uh, wait, something's, it feels wrong. Um, music is such an artistic gift that colors and adds to, to everything. And praise God for people who during the pandemic have found ways to try to share music. And I, I admire the attempts over Zoom to create like choirs and orchestras and things, which each person playing their own instrument in their own little Zoom window and you put it together and mix it all together and it, you know, it's kind of like you're together. Um, we've had some creative things to keep music alive during the, the pandemic. And uh, I'm, I'm grateful for that, but I'm also looking forward to uh, live music in person again. And so I, I wait every day for the symphony to tell me about that. And uh, Branson's going to be, be open to do that. So praise God for music. So, um. You know, and much as I look at the contemporary Christian stuff and the way people like that, there there is actually something very prayerful and beautiful about the the chant of the liturgy and things like that. I remember back in the nineties, um, the the Benedictine monks of um, Silos Abbey in in Spain, Santo Domingo de Silos, they released an album called Chant, and it's just Gregorian chant from the Mass, and it like spiked on the Billboard you know, top 40 charts. It, people were were buying these CDs like crazy. Um, so that's one of those, I guess, epiphanies of beauty sort of thing. I, I use sometimes that music to study by um, because I don't want to be like overpowered, I guess, with a, 
music that's got a strong backbeat to it and words that are powerful. Like, no, I need to, I need to study. And so I need words, music without words that I can understand. Well, then I went and learned Latin and now I know all the words to those chants and stuff. So it, it makes it harder, but okay. So music now, now here's an art. Uh, the next art up that I want to talk about is, is one that, uh, you might not think about, but is one that is very important to me. In fact, uh, next to playing my trumpet, it is the uh, artistic medium that, that I most contribute to, and that is photography. Now, there are obviously different kind of forms of, of photography. And um, I will say that, you know, a lot of times when we think of like professional photographers, you know, out making a living as a photographer, you know, like those little pop-up uh, musicians that play in the coffee shops, like a lot of photographers, you know, work, you probably you're a freelance photographer these days if you're working professionally as a photographer. Um, and so there's a lot of, the money to be made is in like portraits and, you know, like wedding photography is probably the biggest one. Everyone who has a wedding is going to hire a photographer to take their pictures but also just like, you know, senior pictures and prom pictures and, and things like that. Um, we might not necessarily think of those things as art as much, but there, there is an art in like learning how to, how to pose people in, in ways that would be beautiful. Like sometimes we think like, well, I'll just put people here and put people there. Like, no, there's, there's, there's a whole artistic beauty to it. Like if you're painting a painting, another visual art, you have the ability to, you know, put everything in your painting exactly where you want it. Uh, if you're a portrait photographer, you know, you have some control to be able to do that. Uh, and it works on mathematical, even principles of what we call composition, the way things are, are laid out. It, it follows a, an artistic kind of quality that's built into the person. Okay. Uh, and I, I admire very much the people who do the uh, the wedding portrait photography kind of things. I've got you know friends that do wedding photography, and um, yeah, it's uh, it's a tough area, but it is also true art. Now I don't do much portrait stuff, so my primary interest in photography is landscape. So I, I suppose there's more than two kinds of photography, but two big areas of photography would be like portraits. You do people um, or landscapes. You do, within landscapes, there could be like, you know, buildings like city, things like that, or nature. So I tend to be more of a landscape nature photographer. And here's the, I guess, kind of the the insight into this that, that I got. Um, when you're doing portrait photography, it is a little bit like painting in that you are, you're creating something. You're going to move this person over here. You're going to move that person over there. Maybe you're going to, you know, change your studio lighting uh, to, to make it look better. You're going to add a prop over here. You're going to bounce your, your background. You're going to set it all up. And essentially you're, you're creating a painting that you're going to take a picture of. Uh, that's, that's more portrait photography. I discovered with landscape photography, maybe this is why I, I like it so much. Um, it's not so much that you are the one creating the art as you are the one that has to discover the, the beauty that's, that's already there somewhere. This hit me um, a couple months ago. I was, I was out hiking in uh, Denver and I was was at a, a park I like to go to out there, and I saw okay, there's this kind of older historical house that they use as a museum. And there's like a pile of wood in in front of it, and a wooden fence that's falling down. And you know, I I liked each of those elements, sort of thing. And there were mountains in the background, and I'm like. You know, I, I like all this, but it just doesn't look up. I, I can't see it as a picture yet. And so literally, I was walking around. I, I walked around one side of the house and I looked at it from, from this aspect. And then I walked around a different way. And I thought, 
you know, I actually found myself like climbing a hill a little bit. There's some mud to say, well, what if I looked at it from up above? And I didn't move anything in the scene. I had to move me. And I think it's what that's when it hit me about in landscape photography, you're not creating the art. It's more like you're the person there appreciating the art to the extent that you're creating it. What you're doing is you are able to see something and share a perspective with someone that, that maybe they wouldn't have seen. Maybe the artistic side of landscape photography is you got to go find where's, where's the beauty, where's the interest, where's the, where's the picture amongst all this. And so I ended up, yeah, getting a picture with like some old fallen down trees and a dilapidated fence in the foreground with a house in the background and mountains and a lake in the back. And it looks like, oh, wow, that, that was a pretty scene. Well, I actually had to do a bit of moving of myself to find that. So to that extent, I would consider myself uh, an artist, even as a, a landscape photographer. You got to go out and find the beauty. And that that kind of, I suppose, I, I love the colors. I love sometimes, like when I'm out driving, and when I was pastor of three little parishes down south of Kansas City out in the country, I, I would drive between them and just love to see that the beauty of soybean fields, you wouldn't think like soybean fields, oh man, there's there's nothing like, you, you've got the soybean fields, they, they, they start off with this beautiful purple weeds, basically, but the whole field turns purple in the spring as the, the weeds grow up and then they, they plant in the soybeans and they come up green. So you've got these beautiful green fields and in the fall, they all turn brown and just to see just the expanse of it, it just, for me now, I want to stop and take a picture. And so that's what I do. I would stop all the time driving between my three parishes. I would stop and take a picture. And maybe there's an old tractor I saw broken down by the road. I'm like, okay, I'm going to work that tractor into it. Um, it's really just seeing beauty and trying to then, you know, use the medium of photography to capture it and, and share it with, with someone else. So I mean, that was a little bit of my, my experience there. And it segues nicely, I guess, into my final point tonight on, on art. And that is, I said at the beginning that, that God is an artist. John Paul II and his letter to artists at the very beginning, he had that beautiful quote about the epiphanies of beauty uh, so that people who are artists, that they may offer their gifts to the world. But then John Paul II quotes God from the book of Genesis. Um, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. I, I like this idea that, that God himself is an artist. And uh, I started talking about, um, you know, scouting and, and Philmont. And, you know, you, you have to be a believer in God to be a scout. So everyone who is a member of the Boy Scouts of America uh, takes their oath and they promise that, you know, they will do their duty to God and their country and to themselves and others. Got, you can't be an atheist and be a Boy Scout. And yet, I know that a lot of our, our scouts, some of them have never been exposed to any kind of formal religion, maybe. Uh, scouts has always kind of been a way for me to, to sort of maybe propose God kind of through the back door. We get the scouts out in creation and get them out camping. And it doesn't take too long before you realize, okay, I like this. This is attractive to me. And where did this all come from? How did this get here? And particularly when I'm down at Philmont, I do, as a, as a chaplain, I work not only with the, the participants who are, you know, largely high school age kids. Uh, I work with the staff as well who are, are more like college, you know, early to even late, late 20s, some in their 30s. Um, you know, I, I will end up having to propose to some of them because like, like any college uh, students, I suppose you'd say, um, they question, you know, is there God? 
And I remember as I was working with some of the staff last two years ago, because we canceled last year, uh, I, I was pointing out, you know, you're out there and you're just like, okay, look at those mountains over there. And literally the, the range is right there. And the sun's setting to the, in the west behind the mountains. And I'm able to say, you know, look at that. Is that beautiful? And everyone just agrees that that's beautiful. I mean, that's why we're here. It is just gorgeous. Gorgeous country. Purple sky, yellow setting sun behind mountains into pine forests. Gorgeous. No one, no one questions it even down there. And then I propose, well, why? Why, why, why does that catch you so much that you're able to say, oh my goodness, look at that, it's so beautiful. Okay, that, that's a ball of gas burning in the sky that we call the sun. It's a big old star that happens to be close to us. It's just a ball of gas burning in the sky. And as the earth rotates, it gradually disappears behind these rocks that we call mountains and makes some colors. That's it. I mean, that could describe it. And yet, people are willing to give their lives to come back year after year to want to be in that place that we call God's country and see those beautiful sights. Why? Why is it? Well, I have to say it, it has to be because God put in us the ability to receive that beauty. I often will point out to the staff as we're sitting there looking at a beautiful sight like that. Okay, look at the deer over there. And there, there are plenty of deer running around base camp. They love the Catholic chapel at Philmont. Like, look at the deer. They're not paying attention to what's going on over there. The deer are just eating the grass. They are not sitting around saying, hey, look at that sunset. That's amazing. That's the most beautiful thing. No, you don't see deer doing that. You don't see deer really contemplating or thinking about anything. But humans do. This has to be because God, who, who made the sunset and the sun and the mountains and the forest and all that, he also made a being who could behold it and find it beautiful. That's us. We are really alone in creation in the ability to appreciate beauty. And if, if you're an artist, okay, maybe you do art for art's sake. But oftentimes, an artist feels valued and feels like they're doing something good when, when people notice their art and say, wow, that's beautiful. Well, how much more than God? If, if he went all the trouble to create all of this for us, uh, and gave to man the ability to appreciate it in a way that none of the other animals even do, then I think one of the greatest things we can do for God as an artist is to just say, wow, that's beautiful. To experience the natural wonder of the world as an epiphany of beauty, a manifestation. And of course, the real trick there is that when we see Beauty, you can't, you can't help but then ask the, the all-important question, all right, that's beautiful. I react to that in a way that stirs me. So who did that? Because it can't be just random. It's not. Deer don't look at sunsets. The bears at Philmont do not go out at night and say, wow, look at the beautiful moon. Okay, they're smelling around for your food. That's it. They respond to stimuli. They do not contemplate beauty. But man does, which automatically begs the question, if this is art, then who's the artist? Who do we need to thank for this art? And uh, I, I can tell you, as, as a scout, this is often one of the more satisfying things about, you know, scouting ministry for me. Uh, I get to propose God in places where people are maybe not even, certainly not even looking for God. Maybe they're not even open to God. But you get them out in the woods, you get them out in the, the mountains, and like, wow, that's beautiful. Okay. Anyone who can get to the point where they're able to say, that's beautiful. Well, I mean, 
that's one one stone's throw to yeah they they believe in god can't be an atheist and find beauty beauty begs the question who's the artist who made the beautiful and god is the the ultimate artist of things i think that's why i love being outside i went i went hiking this past week i was looking for um believe it or not okay i googled best backpacking trails in kansas so i like to go backpacking it's just i realized i normally always go someplace else like colorado or new mexico to do that what about kansas so i googled like best backpacking trails in kansas uh there are some search results for that but basically there's just not a whole lot but i did see this the uh, flint hills trail thing that it said is uh was pretty nice and i looked at some pictures it's Kansas's version of the uh, rails to trails uh, thing where you, you take uh, an abandoned railroad, rip up all the, the railroad tracks, and you've, you've just got this, this trail, basically, that's good for hiking and biking. Uh, so the, the Flint Hills Nature Trail is basically Kansas' version of, of that. It's the longest one in Kansas. It's about 100 miles from uh, Osawatomie, my former parish, where I, I had breakfast with some friends on Monday, and then I, I went out on a hike. And um, it really, I, I knew, like, uh, I need to recover some of that epiphany of beauty sort of thing. So I went hiking, and it was just me and God alone in the forest, you know, and it was beautiful tree-covered, and there's beautiful flowers right now, red buds and uh, things like that blossoming out, and beautiful yellow in a field, and then the, the river came up to meet the trail, and... I'm like, yeah, there it is. There's there's that epiphany of beauty. And my thoughts are just, thank you, God. Thank you for making this, but allowing me to be able to see it. It's kind of like that, you know, if a tree falls in the woods and there's no one there to hear it, does it still make a sound? You know, if if God makes beauty and there's no one there to see it and appreciate it, is it still beautiful? Well, beauty might not be in the eye of the beholder, but to some extent, to be beautiful, you, you need someone to receive it. Beauty has a gift kind of quality to it. And that's really what our God has done for us. He has gifted us creation. And of course, tomorrow is Earth Day. And uh, as a scout, I am very much bent on taking care of creation. And uh, we have to be careful that we don't make creation into an idol. Okay, uh, sometimes you hear things like, well, the world would be better without man in it. Then it would be a happy, peaceful planet without us wrecking it. Okay, but the whole point of creation is, yes, there's a sense in which it glorifies God in its own right, but God made it for us. God made creation as a home for us. Uh, so we should take good care of it, but the earth is not God. The earth is part of God's creation, and we are part of God's creation, but we are the summit of God's creation, and we alone are able to look at it and appreciate it. So we'll end tonight with a little bit of a, an Earth Day shout-out. Go out, appreciate the Earth. It's God's masterpiece. God is an artist. Tonight we've been talking about the different ways that art has kept us going, perhaps during the pandemic even, uh, the ways we've missed some of the normal art. I uh, missed going to concerts, live music. Uh, museums have been shut. Um, things are starting to come back to normal. But let's not take for granted the artists, the musicians, the painters, the photographers, um, all those who try to share a little bit of beauty with us. And let's especially not forget the one who is beauty itself, God, our creator, who made all of this for us. We will actually be 5.30 next week. So 5.30 live next week. And of course, it will be uh, it'll be out there uh, for you to watch at 6.30 if you show up then uh, as recorded. If you haven't done so already, please go to the Sean the Baptist page on Facebook and follow me. Please go follow. Every now and then I, I invite people who have commented on the show, like uh, a lot of you have not followed Sean the Baptist. So... If I go live at a different time, uh, you might not even realize it. So go out and give Sean the Baptist a follow if you would for me. Uh, but that's going to do it for tonight's 
Sean the Baptist Live. We've been talking about art and beauty and being grateful, grateful to the supreme artist who is God. You want to share with me in the comments? Send me messages about how you contribute to art and what art moves you. I'd be happy to hear about that, and we'll we'll share that on a follow-up show. For tonight, this has been Father Sean Tunick. I am Sean the Baptist, wishing you a wonderful week ahead, and we'll see you next week at 5.30. God bless.